This is the Breaker.News podcast for the week of February 4th, 2024. I'm Bob Mackin, publisher of the Breaker.News and host of the Breaker.News podcast. Welcome to edition number 328. The Breaker is your source for news, opinion, and analysis about British Columbia issues, institutions, and influencers. Later, I'll tell you how you can support The Breaker. On this edition, headlines from the Pacific Rim and the Pacific Northwest. I award a virtual Nanaimo bar to a difference maker. The Is It Just Me commentary and the Big Deal feature. 2024 is an election year in British Columbia. Will it be four more years for the NDP? What about BC United versus the BC Conservatives? Mario Canseco of Research Co. returns with details of the first big poll of the new year. Is it just me, or is it officially official that David Eby's NDP is a worse manager of British Columbia's Freedom of Information system than Christy Clark's BC Liberals ever were? In 2021, John Horgan came up with the idea that charging a $10 tax on FOI requests would help make the system run faster. Well, boy, was he wrong. Information Commissioner Michael McAvoy slammed the government for taking an average of more than three months to respond to requests. In some cases, the Premier's office is taking a year to respond. It's supposed to take only 30 business days, and in some cases, 60. The performance is the worst in 13 years, McAvoy said in his January 31st report. Quote, if government expects its citizens to act within the law, so too must it. End quote. In opposition, the NDP proposed fines for those caught breaking BC's FOI law, but they ditched that idea when they got power in 2017, so now they routinely break the law to delay disclosure and avoid accountability. So, shame on you, David Eby. You have ruined the legacy of NDP Attorney General Colin Gableman, the father of BC's 1993 FOI law. No wonder more people are calling your party, the NDP, the not-democratic party. What do you think? Email bob at thebreaker.news. This is the Big Deal feature on the Breaker.News podcast. Joining me again is my guest, Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. Mario has conducted the first big poll of the election year, the British Columbia provincial election year. October 19th, 2024 is the scheduled voting day. NDP Premier David Eby could decide to go earlier, but he insists he is sticking with the fall date. And that is 36 weeks from now. As Mario found out in his poll, the NDP stays ahead and would win another election if it was held now by a plurality. Meanwhile, a split on the centre-right, where the John Rustad Conservatives have the edge over Kevin Falcon's BC United, the former BC Liberals. Mario, does this surprise you that uh, BC United, the rebranded BC Liberals, uh, almost a year ago, have not had the traction under Kevin Falcon that they wanted and they thought they could get? It's a remarkably low number when you're looking at the retention rate uh, for BC United from the BC Liberals in 2020. Uh, It's only 41%. This means that three out of five of your voters for Andrew Wilkinson are looking elsewhere. Uh, A lot of them looking at the Conservatives, some of them looking at the NDP. And this election is unique because uh, you're essentially trying to figure out how the two new leaders who were not elected uh, by anybody, uh, essentially David Eby taking over from John Horgan and finishing that term, 
and then Kevin Falcon taking over from, from Andrew Wilkinson. How how can they sustain the level of support that they have and what type of base can they count on? And we don't see a lot of uh, NDP voters from 2020 abandoning the ship now that David Eby is in charge. They still have more than four out of five voters from the 2020 election saying, I'm staying with the NDP. But the numbers are drastically lower for the BC United Party. And, and it's uh, it's been a steady decline uh, they were essentially tied for second place in September. Now they are clearly in third place and definitely in danger of getting closer to the level of the BC Greens in fourth place than where the Conservatives are now in second. But here we have a situation where John Rustad is gaining in uh, presence, gaining in popularity, getting uh, the word out there uh, at the expense of Kevin Falcon and the BC United. Um, you did ask... Uh, ask respondents if they would uh, be uh, amenable to potential uh, unity slate. Uh, I mean, right now, doesn't look like that's going to happen, but uh, you, people were, did respond to that question. Yeah, it's interesting to note that because we didn't have movement from September uh, to January when it comes to that question in the entirety of the electorate. 32% believe that this would be a good idea. What is interesting in the analysis this month is uh, the BC United voter is more likely to say that this is the course of action that they'd like to see happening, uh, whereas the BC Conservative voter is not that convinced. It's almost as if the BC Conservative voter is saying, well, we're in second place. Why should we bother doing something like that if the momentum in the campaign catches on? and we get closer to 30 or 35 percent, then we don't need BC United. And, and it's the BC United voter who is saying, no, 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 we should remain united. It's important. Uh, there has to be a single center-right party or, or else the NDP is going to have a massive number of seats. Um, so that is part of the essence of the argument when you're looking at, uh, at two opposition parties that aren't really climbing the charts. And, and I think we have recent examples of this in Quebec uh, where nobody came closer to 30% unless you were the CAQ. And also in Ontario, where the NDP and the Liberals sort of cannibalized that center-left vote and allowed Doug Ford to have a massive majority government. Um, similar situation here, until one of these two parties gets closer to 30 or 35%. Um, now we're looking at the vote splits in areas where the NDP would not be getting seats. They were in areas where they, they didn't even get seats in 2020. Um, potentially winning them with 37, 38, 40% of the vote. You found that the number of undecided voters has fallen from about 18%. That's almost, uh, you know, one in five to 13%. So people are starting to decide uh, who will get their votes this far in advance. Of course, anything can change. Well, what's important to me looking into that is that was part of the problem in in September, when you have one out of five people saying, I don't know, I don't know enough about David Eby to know if I'm going to stick with the NDP. I don't know who the BC Conservatives are. What is BC United? We've had a few months of this. And it's important to note that the numbers are not particularly great for the leaders either. You know, David Eby is at 53%, but everybody else is sort of stuck in the low 30s. So one of the changes uh, that need to happen for either of the two contenders uh, is to see their leaders climb the charts on those uh, questions. Uh, if you start to look at somebody as somebody who's ready to lead, somebody who could be premier, somebody you want to see representing you, then those numbers start to climb a little bit closer to the 40% mark. But right now what we have is uh, two solitudes uh, who are probably not going to work with each other well uh, because of the animosity that we've seen in the last few months. Uh, trying to get a smaller piece of the electorate because we don't see 
either of them denting the level of support of the NDP. If we had right now 20%, 30% of people who voted for the NDP looking at the Conservatives as an option, that's a completely different story. But more than anything, it's BC Liberal voters from the last election, which is the weakest BC Liberal party in history, um, essentially looking at the Conservatives and saying, this is more attractive to me now. And uh, on the issues, there's uh, a big three double-digit issues. Uh, housing, homelessness, and poverty is one. Healthcare is second. And then economy and jobs. Those three are the double-digit big issues. And the rest of the issues are in single digits and even low single digits. Uh, was that a big surprise to you at all? What is really surprising is just how far the environment has dropped as an issue. Uh, it, it usually does better when things are well, when people aren't worried about their finances, when we when you don't have stories related to healthcare. And obviously, the housing crisis takes everything away, and and it's now become the number one issue also for middle-aged British Columbians. It used to be something that essentially worried those aged 18 to 34. The 55 and overs are still concerned about healthcare. But with the environment at 4%, it makes uh, the road uh, for more green seats even more complicated. Uh, it's it's not an issue that is right now top of mind. People are worried about their expenditures. And if you don't have a home, then you're worried about getting something like that. And it's an area where the NDP has connected well. I think what will be interesting to note is how are we going to try to get uh, some sort of momentum for all of the other parties on the housing front. Um, all of this has been about affordability. We saw the, the big reveal from DC United and their own campaign focusing more on how much money you have to spend and maybe taxation, uh, but they haven't really touched the housing issue. And that is going to be the one thing that defines the vote for uh, more than a third of people. Yeah, you refer to the BC United branding ad campaign, which has been rolling out starring Kevin Falcon, the uh, Kevin Falcon and the $100 worth of groceries in his fridge that I don't really think are worth $100. Um, and, and then there's Kevin Falcon in the uh, uh, small apartment. Uh, he's trying to sell the uh, sell the fact that uh, we still have high inflation, high prices for the basics for groceries. And also we have uh, high prices for rent here in British Columbia uh, since We've had the NDP around in 2017. He's trying to tag those issues on the NDP and also uh, run with the line that, uh, you know, United can fix it. United will fix it, uh, mm -hmm. that uh, BC is broken and that uh, essentially BC United is the solution to fix it. Uh, do you think that this will be enough to turn the tide and get people understanding and knowing who Kevin Falcon is and who BC United is? Well, I think it's similar to the playbook that we see with the federal conservatives, but that's it's a there's a significant difference in the two entities. Uh, um, Justin Trudeau is struggling. His approval rating is lower than 40%, lower than 35% sometimes. Uh, it's normal for people to go, you know, Canada's broken. I'm the one who can fix it. This is the way in which Poliev has been connecting, particularly with younger people. Uh, but what we have here is a very different situation. People aren't necessarily upset with David Eby about anything that is happening. If that were the case, his numbers would be lower than 53%. So, and I think part of what is missing, and maybe we'll see a little bit more of this when they do their, their huge ad buy, um, there's, there's a little bit of a platform uh, aspect of this that, that hasn't really come across. Uh, it, it looks weird when you say everything is wrong and I'm the one who will fix it. I have a plan for this. I have a plan for that. Um, it, 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 sooner or later, we need to take a look at, at what that plan actually entails. And that is going to be 
the essence um, of, of how the campaign evolves, uh, particularly when you have, you, you could run the risk in a way of making people be very upset with what is happening because you keep hammering the NDP on specific files uh, and then seeing how they look at the other alternative that seems fresher. Uh, that is essentially what happened to the NDP in 2015. You know, you start with Tom Mulcair saying that the conservatives are corrupt and terrible, and then he doesn't become the vessel of change. The vessel of change was Justin Trudeau. Uh, something similar could be happening here. You make people really upset about what is happening, but you don't necessarily gain them for your own party. Yeah, we've got the Conservatives in the BC Legislature with two seats. Uh, they got official party status. The other party with two seats and official party status is the BC Green Party. And that was the other big news this week. Uh, Sonia Firstenau, the leader since 2020, announced that she will not be running again for re-election in Cowichan, uh, but she's going right there into downtown Victoria, in Victoria Beacon Hill. That's the riding actually where the legislature sits. So... She may not ever become the premier of the province, but uh, she could become the MLA where the seat of government is located. Uh, she'll have to run against uh, Grace Lohr, who of course took over from Carol James. Um, is, is this a gamble by Sonia First Now, and does she have a chance to win this gamble? It's a continuation of what the party was trying to do with Sanjeev Gandhi. You know, we're going to run a candidate who's a doctor against the health minister and we'll hammer the health minister on anything that we can in a seat that is not winnable. I think that is partly the essence of the argument here. We're going to talk about how this is a particular firewall. Grace Law, even though she's new at it, um, hasn't done well and the government hasn't done well. Um, part of the complexity for Sonia Furster now is uh, the new writing is very different from the old one. It takes a little bit of the... Uh, area that, that used to be part of the Juan de Fuca writing that used to be John Horgan's. So you're not only defending territory, the new territory that you're getting is outnumbering the green vote by a three to one margin. So the math isn't there. It's It would be remarkably difficult with the party as low as it is right now to try to turn that around. Uh, so this might be just one of those cases where the BC Greens return to what they used to be uh, 20 years ago, you know, we're a party that is going to be talking about specific things that we care about. We don't care if we are in single digits by the end of the election. Uh, we might get our message across and and, and that'll be that. Um, because, you know, we we haven't seen anybody from any party other than the BCNDP win that riding in this century with the exception of 2001. And uh, just around the corner is the return to the legislature and, of course, the uh, BC budget. What are you looking for in this legislative session uh, from the NDP, from the uh, BC Conservatives, BC United, and, and if the Greens do anything, uh, the Greens? Um, I think it'll be important for BC United to try to continue to talk about healthcare, uh, ways in which it can be delivered differently, uh, trying to figure out a way to, to try to reconnect with the base. Right now, what we see is the center-right voter over the age of 55 if they're upset with the NDP, they're looking at BC United. So you need to try to galvanize that base. Uh, for the conservatives, it's important to try to strike a balance uh, between the socially conservative things that they talked about at length recently, especially with everything that's happening in Alberta right now under Daniel Smith, but also providing an opportunity for people to imagine them in government. I think that has been one of the pieces that has been missing from the rise of the BC conservatives. Uh, we haven't seen any major current councillors or former councillors or former mayors saying that they want to run for that party. 
And that can make things even more complicated when you're trying to defend territory. You know, BC United might be low, but it'll be easier for somebody who's been an incumbent for some time to knock on doors and say, this is our party now and this is how it's going to work. Um, I think for the NDP, it's ultimately a situation that is related to affordability. You know, is, is there a way to to help people do a little bit better, not necessarily with tax cuts. I mean, we, we saw how poorly that went with Andrew Wilkinson when he was promising a PSD uh, amnesty in a way uh, back in 2020. Uh, but right now, it's not a situation where you need to reinvent the wheel in a way. Uh, it's it's more uh, a gear towards talking to the base, telling them that things are a little bit better than they used to, acknowledging some of the complexities that you have, especially on the housing file, because the runway is not that long. I, I don't think we're going to see the NDP cutting a lot of ribbons from here until October. That was my guest, Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. You can check out the poll in depth at his website, which is researchco.ca. That's R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H-C-O dot C-A. podcast for Around the Rim. We look at news headlines around the Pacific Rim. In the Taiwan news, Taiwan legislators vote for speaker disqualified over ink smudge. TPP members vote for Huang Shanshan invalidated after ink from chop smeared onto ballot. When the final tally was announced in the second round, KMT legislator at large and former Kaohsiung mayor Han Kuo Yu defeated his DPP rival Yu Si Kun with a count of 54 to 51. In the Kyoto news, Mount Fuji climbers to face 2,000 yen, or $13 fees, amid over-tourism concerns. The move comes amid growing concerns over unsafe climbing practices, such as bullet climbing, or trying to reach the summit of Japan's tallest peak for sunrise in one go without sleeping overnight on the mountain. The charges will be separate from the 1,000 yen climbers are currently asked to pay voluntarily in the name of, of supporting the upkeep of the mountain. In Hong Kong Free Press, Hong Kong Press Group again refutes untruthful remarks made by security chief at event for new security law. The Secretary for Security said authorities sought to consult with, quote, representative and legitimate press groups over the enactment of legislation under Article 23 of the city's mini-constitution. The Hong Kong Journalists Association was not among them. That's Around the Rim on this edition of the Breaker.News podcast. Now it's time on the Breaker.News podcast for Cascadia Calling. We look at news headlines around the Pacific Northwest. In the Oregonian. Republican senators who walked out of Oregon legislature can't seek re-election, state Supreme Court rules. The Supreme Court ruling applies to the nine Republican senators and single independent who exceeded the limit of unexcused absences last year, meaning that a third of the Senate will be barred from re-election. In King 5, Providence will refund medical bills for thousands of patients after agreement with Attorney General. The average refund has been around $478, according to the Washington Attorney General's office. A lawsuit the Office of the Attorney General filed is resolved as Providence agrees to forgive more than $137 million in medical debt and refund more than $20 million to patients who likely qualified for free or reduced-cost care. In The Times Colonist, sailings on coastal inspiration taking 15 minutes longer. 
The coastal inspiration BC Ferry is taking the longer route around the east side of Saturna Island to reduce wear and tear on its engine. The trip, which typically takes an hour and 35 minutes, will now take an hour and 50 minutes because of a longer route resulting from the need to take extra care with the vessel's drive motor. The ferry has a refit scheduled for April to May when a new rotor will be installed. That's Cascadia calling on this edition of the Breaker.News podcast. Nanaimo Bar, brought to you by Spruce Hill Contracting. Every week we end the Breaker.News podcast on a tasty note by awarding the goodness of a virtual Nanaimo Bar to people making a difference. A virtual version of the province's favorite dessert bar goes this week to researchers at St. Paul's Hospital and BC Children's Hospital who are seeking a solution to eating disorders. Until February 7th, it is Provincial Eating Disorders Awareness Week in British Columbia. You can nominate someone for a virtual Dynamo bar. Send me an email to bob at thebreaker.news. Spruce Hill Contracting, Custom Homes and Renovations. Find more information at sprucehill.ca. That's it for the Breaker.News podcast for the week of February 4th, 2024. I'm Bob Mackin. Thanks for joining me. Did you know that on the 4th of February in 2004, 20 years ago, Facebook was founded by Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo Severin? Now you know. Send me your feedback. Send me your story ideas to bob at thebreaker.news. Bookmark thebreaker.news. You can also find us at thebreaker.ca. Sign up for the free email newsletter and get updates to your inbox, or follow the Breaker News as news happens on X, formerly known as Twitter. And you can support the Breaker for as little as $2 a month. For more information, go to patreon.com slash thebreakernews. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thebreakernews. Until next week. <laughs>